this podcast is proudly supported by CareerFax. The team at CareerFax is just as passionate about connecting people with the right course as you are. As Australia's number one careers and course search site, CareerFax attracts over 12 million visitors a year and have partnered with over 50 leading providers. Want to increase your student enrolments? Head to careerfax.com.au, your partner in student acquisition. From Claire Field and Associates, I'm Claire, and I'm pleased that you could join me for this episode of What Now, What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector. The discussion on this episode of the podcast took place just a few days before ASQA launched their consultation paper on their proposed new fee schedule as they move into a full cost recovery model. If you haven't read it yet and you work in an RTO, then I really recommend you need to make the time and you do need to make it a priority. Personally, I think they've done a pretty good job with the document and with the proposed fee increases. Not every fee is increased and most of the increases are modest. It did strike me as somewhat unfair that accredited course owners should have to pay an annual fee. I'm not sure there are costs to ASQA in maintaining accredited courses, Uh, but other than that, the rest seem pretty reasonable. Now, Before any of you start yelling uh, at this podcast and at me, um, if that's not how it's going to affect you, if if the way they've structured the new fees is going to have a big impact on you and your RTO, then you really need to make sure you give feedback to ASQA. Note also section 7.4 of the report, which suggests that some about $8 million of annual costs should be funded by the government, even in this full cost recovery model, and there's a rationale for that. Um, I'd personally like to see some of the eight-point-odd million dollars worth of costs come down, uh, and that's the focus of the discussion on the rest of the episode um, uh, of this uh, this episode of the podcast. Um, but irrespective of the actual quantum, I think there's a legitimate argument for the government to meet the costs that are specified in that in that section, that's section 7.4, and it includes the costs of things like ASQA going to the AAT, the federal court, etc. Anyway, I've included a link to the consultation paper in the show notes for this episode. You'll definitely find it um, on the ASQA website if you want to look there, and you have until the 9th of December to have your say. So, Against that backdrop, and assuming that one or two decision makers might be podcast listeners, and it doesn't hurt to share some good ideas, I'm pleased to be joined on this episode of the podcast by two vet experts, Judith Bowler and Kerry Buttery. If you don't know Judith, she's quite softly spoken, and in the first part of our conversation, she is a little bit hard to hear. Apologies for that. Uh, Happily, the audio improved um, pretty quickly after that. And finally, before we start the conversation, there are a few suggestions uh, which both Judith and Kerry made which draw on approaches 
uh, used at the former National Audit and Registration Agency, NARA. Um, I promise I didn't, I didn't put them up to it. I didn't suggest it to them. They came to them spontaneously. Um, but I have included a link in the show notes um, to the details of the NARA audit model in case you're interested in learning more. And now time to kick things off uh, and start the conversation. As always, I really enjoyed it and I hope you do as well. It's my very great pleasure to have joining me for a conversation about vet regulation, which probably tells you something about me that I find pleasure in talking about vet regulation, uh, but to have two terrific guests joining me on the podcast this week. I've got Judith Bowler and Kerry Buttery. They both now work as um, consultants in the sector. They've had some very interesting uh, roles and experiences, and we're going to touch on that and also talk through about what should ASQA be doing differently, how can it operate better um, as a regulator and bring that certainty and consistency that vet providers need. So, uh, Kerry, I'm going to start with you, if I may. Sure. Can you give us a bit about your uh, background um, in the sector and, and the work that you do now? Because I think I find it interesting and I think it gives uh, context to, to listeners uh, to understand who my guests are. So, so over to you. H who are you and welcome? Thanks, Claire. And thanks for inviting me to be on the podcast. Uh, my background in VET started with my Bachelor of Education back in the 90s. And Queensland actually had embedded VET in the secondary school curriculum back then, where we had a number of subjects that contributed to university entrance and contained a certificate course. So I was delivering a certificate too in business. So that Bachelor of Education actually included training in VET delivery. So I was delivering VET in a school context and I was also the RTO manager at the school for a number of years. And after that moved on to become a, a VET auditor in Queensland uh, with the Queensland Studies Authority. But I did prefer that uh, teacher role uh, to, the, to the regulatory role. So after doing that for a while, I then moved across to become a TAA trainer at the time and TAE trainer, and that was with an enterprise RTO and also a private RTO. So, and as a TAE trainer, there were skills that, that I had that people wanted to, to learn in terms of, okay, well, I've been a, a teacher in the classroom, I've, I've been an, a manager, I've been an auditor. So that really then helped lead into that consultancy role, which I had as my own business uh, quite a few years ago now, probably 12, 12 years ago, 10 years ago. And I was doing a lot of RTO setups and consultancy work throughout Queensland and New South Wales at the time. But then having a child, I sort of moved out of having my, my own consultancy business and that's when I began working at Bell Training and I was an in-house consultant there. And over the eight, almost eight years that I was there, I moved up to the position of uh, Director of Content and Strategy before I left in September 2018. And that's when I established VetNexus. And VetNexus is an organisation that provides consultancy services around compliance, um, but also... In that journey, I also completed my graduate certificate in e-learning and rekindled that love of e-learning and technology and education that I had from my original years of teaching where I was a business and IT teacher. And so I've also got a lot of focus on e-learning development as well. So that's a bit Fantastic. of a brief history, 20, no, that, 20 years. That's right. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I might have to get you on to talk digital at some point because you know that's a pa- yeah. passion of mine. Um, yes, yeah, Judith, your your background uh, in the sector and and the role that you currently have now. Can you fill us in? Thanks for inviting me. Um, I've worked in the vet sector for over thirty years. I've owned and operated um, a large RTO for twenty years. Um, and towards the end of those 20 years, it also had a small high-cost component. And then I, I moved into consulting. And during that period of time, I worked for NARA as a quality consultant and auditor. During that period, I underwent a maternity leave contract um, for 10 months. And I worked within NARA as a client relationship manager. So it gave me yet another perspective on the role of RTOs in the in the education world and what was required to, to be successful um, in running a, an RTO business. Sure. And your role now, your current role? I'm working as an RTO consultant. I run my, I run my own business um, and we have a very small admin staff and another senior consultant. And our focus is internal audits. There's been, I guess, during this period of time, it's been quite turbulent, a fair amount of work with that are going to the AAT or needing to appeal the decision. Yes, unfortunately, there has been a, a, a high degree of that activity mm. um, in the sector. Before we go on and tackle that and what the regulator can do differently, you and I had a chat recently about how education has changed within the vet sector in the last 20 or 30 years. Um, and I wondered if you could... Uh, both of you have education backgrounds. Judith, did you want to talk a little bit about that? And then, Kerry, I might invite you to uh, to, to comment. Uh, Judith, the, the points that we were discussing were how the audit approach and the compliance-only approach, while compliance is obviously important, we seem to be losing something in terms of um, the educational integrity uh, and and focus of our institutions. Did you want to comment on that? Yes, I mean, I think this is one of the, the sad things that have happened is that we have become very focused on doing what's required to, to keep out of trouble, if you like. And this whole process has led to a move away from seeking to engage actively with learners because of the nature of training packages and how they've now understood so that assessment has become atomistic, mechanistic, and takes an enormous amount of time, depending upon which um, unit of competency is being taught, so that the focus becomes quite dry. We've just got to tick all the boxes, make sure everything's done. So that delight and that curiosity that's in, inherent in, in human beings, or I believe it is, is that desire to learn, we're managing it, I think, to kill that off. There doesn't seem to be any opportunity to do anything clever or innovative, um, in my opinion. Um, Kerry, you're, you've got an education background and you've seen the sector and um, RTOs from, uh, you know, different perspectives. Did you want to comment? Do you have a similar view or has it been different in your experience? Um, my experience would be along the same as, as Judith. I do find it's harder to innovate. Um, Going back quite a few years ago, there was less focus on the assessment. The assessment was just, you know, to check at the end that had the goals being met. 
But we can see with the changes even in the, the certificate for qualifications, going from BSE to TAA to TAE 10 and then the current TAE, the focus on assessment even in those qualifications has grown over the time. So, and quite often when, when you go to conferences and events and everything's talked about assessment rather than delivery and learning. So I, I think, Judith's right, there's a lot less focus on the learning side and how to engage learners than there is on that assessment. And everyone's so worried about, uh, you know, getting through an audit or you know, have, have we got everything compliant? And so there is massive focus on the assessment uh, and less so than the training experience. And so it's, it's, we've got to have that balance there to make sure that we're engaging learners while still being compliant. And, and we, yeah, so we've, we've focused on, the system has focused on trying to strengthen the integrity of the mm. assessment decision making, and that's not unimportant, but that's in right. doing so, we, we're out of balance, that we've got too much of a focus on that uh, without thinking through uh, the educational quality of the, the teaching and, and learning experience. I think there might be another mm. podcast in this down the track, <laughs> ladies, I'm going, to, I'm going to refocus us. Um, so, Judith, if you could talk us through what you think ASQA could do differently to help providers, keeping in mind that it is moving to a full cost recovery model, so any changes that it makes are going to come potentially at an additional cost for RTOs. Your, your thoughts about doing it uh, differently? Now, I think one of the, the simplest things that ASQA could do and which would be very cost effective and not increase costs for RTOs would be prior to um, formal sign-off an, of an audit report is that the auditor send um, the draft audit report to the RTO for a fact check, um, give the RTO 48 hours to respond and to identify if all the information contained in the audit report is accurate, uh, if anything has been missed. Um, was there a, an additional document that the RTO could provide um, that the auditor missed? This would be a very simple process. The, it's not the time for the RTO to argue with the auditor, but just to verify that all the information was there and that that um, report is an accurate reflection of the time that the auditor was there. Very simple, straightforward, and would save a lot of unnecessary backwards and forwarding and rectification. I was thinking that... Before you go on, Judith, I just, I just wanted to, to uh, just make a, a comment and ask a, a further follow-up question if I can. It is something that we did um, at NARA. Absolutely. Uh, we did get some criticism from some states and territories at the time for it, um, and it does require a bit of work and a bit of pushback when people try and, you know, argue the, the toss about the... The findings. Are you suggesting it as a change for ASQA to consider because you've observed a lot of errors in audit reports? Does that take up a lot of time in terms of the provider during the rectification uh, time period that actually some of what they're responding to are, are errors in the audit report? It has been my personal experience that many, many audit reports contain factual errors um, and that the only way the RTO can respond is through the rectification process, um, which is time consuming and expensive. Over the last 
12, 18 months, I have found, in my opinion, the standard of audit reporting to be quite poor. Um, and audit reports that would appear to me lack um, a consistent view or an ASQA view. You find big variations um, and often errors in errors of fact. And I think that such a simple thing to do to send the audit report to the RTO is this an accurate representation of the documents that were cited, those sorts of things. I think it would save enormous amounts of time and effort. And occasionally, yes, the RTO will want to argue with the findings, but that isn't the time to argue with the findings. It's about the accuracy of that process. I thought it was such a terrific thing. Sorry, I cut you off, please. Yeah. Um, and uh, thank you for that. Uh, so, again, I think that would be a very uh, straightforward uh, change to make. Um, other, other ideas about what ASQA could do differently that would improve things um, in, in terms of both RTOs and, and the, for the regulator? I think that ASQA should publish an audit handbook and put it up on its website so that there was a publicly available document that described the audit process and what auditors were expected to do um, so that this whole audit process was transparent, which is what's required in the Act. A very simple thing to do. And continuing on from what Maria Langwell said uh, on a previous podcast is if ASQA were just to provide some simple key templates, perhaps something like the training and assessment strategy, saying here's the template, here's the minimum information that we would require, this would also, I think, be very cost and time effective for ASQA and for RTOs. This is what, AS this is what ASQA needs to see. Here it is. Fill, it, fill, fill in the blanks. I think that would be so, so easy to do um, and would be very time effective and, and cost effective. Uh, Maria was mm. saying that they're doing that in South Australia and I thought, what a simple approach make a big difference, I believe. I, I agree with you. I wonder if um, that notion of ASQA publishing its audit handbook wouldn't also encourage it to reflect on what's yes. in it. I'm not sure that they have a handbook. I spoke to someone there quite senior a number of years ago and was told they had a policy and was to the comment was made to reassure me of the consistency of their um, auditing approach because there was a policy it was very detailed and comprehensive and I can't remember if it was more than 20 pages or more than 40 pages long but either way it struck me as a kind of policy that you might read once and possibly not go back to so uh, not only would making that kind of document uh, transparent be helpful mm. for the sector to understand um, how ASQA would go about the audit, uh, it might also cause ASQA to reflect on whether in burying their audit auditors in so much detail, are they really confident that they do have a, a consistent approach? Is everybody following a policy when it is potentially uh, that, uh, that lengthy? Well, those are some very simple cost-effective uh, solutions. Uh, Kerry, from your perspective, what do you think of those ideas and what other suggestions do you have uh, that would improve things uh, for, again, both the regulator and, uh, and the RTOs that they regulate? 
I, Claire, I think that idea of having the audit handbook make a comeback would be just wonderful. When I was auditing years ago, it was under the AQTF and we had the auditor's handbook and it was so useful not only for the auditors but I would go out and do an audit and the RTO has actually read through and gone through and so they know what to expect not only from the processes that we had of communicating with them and setting up the, the agenda and those sorts of things but they'd already gone through that auditor handbook and they had an idea of what was going to happen. So I think that's a really good idea. And uh, like Jitta said, you know, it's only an internal process in terms of getting it created. It's not going to cost ongoing fees, etc. I found the fact check one very interesting. I do like that. And it made me think, I wonder if the, at the moment, we're not allowed to record audits. You can't record anything that happens. But I wonder if that would be something to consider for future because there are so many different scenarios where people are interviewed or um, you know, the police have a, a process when they interview people and courts, et cetera, where it's recorded. So maybe we move towards a situation where it can be recorded so that the fact-checking can actually go back through what's being recorded and make sure it's accurate. So in terms of other ideas, I, I think... Going back before the audit and having some more detail, I, I do love the user's guide, but it's still written in language sometimes that's hard for RTOs to interpret. And I think we need some very basic down-to-earth, plain English information for people to help with that clarity and consistency of the information that's provided. So building on what we've got in terms of that user's guide, and not everyone's going to sit and read the user's guide front to back like like we would, but having extra information and use the technology that we've got available. So you know, we've got, like you were doing right now, a podcast or having webinars, which Asqua does have webinars coming up, which I think is fantastic. I've registered for those so that we can listen to an explanation of things in a bit more detail and have examples and have the questions answered. Because one of the other things is when you send an email through to ASQA asking for information or clarity and you say, well, this is a situation, when that comes back, often it's just cut and paste of the user's guide or a stock standard response that, you know, you get it back and you think, yeah, I knew that bit, wanted to have a bit more interpretation around this particular example. So being, being able to go off script a little bit more and give more meaningful feedback to people so that they know that they're on the right track uh, towards making sure that they're compliant. So when it does come to time for the audit, that these things have been in place, RTOs are more informed because I think it's going to come down to making sure people are more informed and face-to-face provider briefings, while they're good, it's, it's not cost-effective because there's ASQA travel fees, there's room hire, et cetera. So if we can make more use of the webinars, recordings, things that are made on available online that are more than just fact sheets, then that's going to be really, really helpful. But before yep. you go on, I noticed, uh, like you have, uh, that there's been a number of uh, webinars um, mm. uh, being, being scheduled and um, and people should check out the uh, ASQA, I think it's in the latest news, um, part mm. of their website, if not, if not in other places, uh, as well as a part of the site now focused on educational resources. So it's mm-hmm. been good to see that... Yeah. Uh, 
relatively quickly, there's been a response to that call by uh, ministers for a new approach, and certainly the, the acting chief commissioner um, is, does appear to, to be acting on that. So I think they're to be uh, commended for it. And like mm. you, I think more of that, uh, particularly where people are actually prepared to to answer questions, not just fall back on, you know, a copy and paste from the user's guide, uh, that, that would be very useful. And sorry, your, your other thinking and ideas? I was just going to go one last thing. In terms of the audits, we might be able to look at a, a process where, now I know it's not the same as actually being on site and seeing things, but for lower risk activities, it could be a Zoom meeting type audit where uh, documents are being shared on screen, you've got interviews of people via video capture so that it's cutting down on that cost. Um, but it's certainly not in a situation where there's concerns whether, you know, are there actually students there or not. There are certain situations where ASCA would need to go to the RTO, but it might be, you know, that if they're having a further look into adding something to scope or something where you might be able to reduce costs by using technology rather than travelling. I love it. We're bringing the modern world to the world of regulation. Well, I mean, I've been thinking uh, with a colleague and we might do something next year on, you know, digital disruption coming into the VET sector. And, of course, we always think about that for what does that mean for the provider, teaching and learning, student mm. support, et cetera. Um, but, yes, why, why don't we um, see those tools being used and deployed, albeit, as you say, not in every situation, but there could well be some legitimate circumstances where that is uh, easy and preferable for both of the provider um, and the regulator. That's mm. some good food for thought. Um, any any other suggestion before I get Judith to let me know what she thinks about, about your ideas? Uh, they were the main things, just making sure we've got that clarity and consistency and focusing on the upfront education so that by the time we get to audit, Hopefully we've got things more on track and audits are always going to be needed uh, in case of those circumstances where people are intentionally doing the wrong thing, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yeah. Uh, Judith, your thoughts about Kerry's suggestions? I, I'm, I agree. I think that there's lots of opportunities to use um, modern technology to reduce costs, um, inform uh, and to also inform RTOs about what's happening. I think it's very simple approach and would be very effective. Um, and I think a lot of RTOs would be very grateful for the opportunity to get some more information that wasn't cut and paste <laughs> and <laughs> that um, enabled them to engage with, um, with, with ASQA. I mean, they almost could have... Um, ask an auditor, you know, they could put uh, mm -hmm. an, an auditor on, on the phones. Wonder Each auditor could take a turn, answer, answer tricky questions for RTOs um, so that, and, and explain things rather than um, asking the call centre staff who are very helpful but don't always know uh, the answer and can sometimes it can take a long time for, for ASQA to respond. Let's bring back the rectification period. That would be yes. give the RTOs an opportunity. How simple. Just give them 20 days to fix things up and stop forcing everyone um, through the long legal process. Mm. Agreed. Yeah. I was just going to say, Judith, you've made me think of, a, of, of an idea in terms of a lot of businesses have setups where they have like a customer success manager and 
there will be yes, regular yeah. catch-ups between the customer success manager and the business to make sure that everything's going okay and everything's on track. And maybe that's something that should be looked at is a way of, it might only yes. be every six months or so because of the number of RTOs, but it, you know, someone that you can touch base with to make sure that you can go through and answer any questions, etc. In NARA. Sounds a little bit, it, Judith, like those client relationship managers that we used exactly. to have at NARA. <laughs> they were managing orders. Uh, ladies, I'm, unfortunately, uh, just because, you know, uh, I try and keep these podcasts to a, a reasonable length, um, I have a feeling we could brainstorm this and come up with even more um, good ideas and, and really cost-effective ones. Um, you've certainly given me a lot to think about and I do hope if we do have some decision makers who are listening into the podcast today that perhaps there's some food for thought for them um, as well as for uh, those of you working in um, in leadership roles in RTOs for the kinds of changes that you think would make a difference um, and that you may communicate uh, to ASQA as they go through this this process of change. Uh, Kerry and Judith Thank you very much for, for both joining with me on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, to have you with me. And with that, we're almost at the end of another episode. As always, I very much welcome your ideas and thoughts. What are the changes you think ASQA could make to improve its regulatory approach and which wouldn't cost the earth. Do get in touch. You'll find me on Twitter at Seafield and Associates. I'm on LinkedIn, and you can also find Clearfield and Associates on Facebook. Lastly, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. It does help people find the show, and it also tells me what you want more of. If you subscribe to the show in your podcast feed, it will automatically load the next episode as soon as I've got it available for you. And thank you again for joining me for this episode of What Now, What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector.